from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program, and our phone number if you want to join us, 866-505-4626, 866-50-JIMBO is the classic number. You're always welcome to give us a call on the Legacy Line. Welcome to the Friday edition of the program. And um, big stories, right? we got a couple of big stories. I'm flying blind here. I can't hear my folks in the studio at all, so if I get cut off going to the commercial, it's because I, I have zero ability to hear in my ear. But we've got a story that I want to go over, and the story that I want to go over is Fannie Willis. You got Fannie Willis, who you you knew her better on this program as Funny Willis, right? Funny Willis, and good old Funny Willis, she is now admitting. She's saying, well, you know, um, I actually uh, did have a, a personal relationship with the prosecutor, but that's not a conflict of interest that I hired my boyfriend to uh, go after Trump, even though he's never done criminal prosecutions. And uh, Fox News has this story, and I'll give you a little bit of an update on that in a bit. Uh, there's also there's also um, the news that she's been subpoenaed by the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, uh, having issued a subpoena to, to, you know, get her testimony to see what's going on. So we're going to get into that in a second. Uh, but Funny Willis, as I like to call her, she uh, was out there today, and there was uh, some audio on that, and if you bear with me, I'm going to tell you which clip I want. I think it's cut number 16, uh, where ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky uh, is reporting on it. Listen to this. Tonight, after weeks of mounting questions, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis acknowledging a romantic relationship with a special prosecutor she hired to lead her case against Donald Trump. But in a new court filing, Willis insists her relationship with that prosecutor, Nathan Wade, does not amount to a disqualifying conflict of interest requiring her to recuse herself. Trump and two of his co-defendants have accused Willis of improperly benefiting from hiring Wade, who has been paid $650,000 over two years. In church last month, Willis suggested Wade was only under scrutiny because he's black. I appointed three special counselors, is my right to do, paid them all the same hourly rate. They only attacked one. But at the time, Willis did not acknowledge their romance. Today, she did. Her court filing included an affidavit from Wade confirming they developed a personal relationship in 2022 after he was hired. Trump and his two co-defendants claim Willis benefited from the money her office paid Wade, saying he had taken her on lavish vacations. But today, Wade insisting the district attorney received no funds or personal financial gain from my position as special prosecutor. So this is uh, what's going on with Funny Willis. Um, obviously, she's saying that she's done nothing wrong. Um, she's uh, going on to say that she has she and Mr. Wade have been uh, professional associates and friends since 2019. But there was no personal relationship between her and Mr. Wade in November of 2021 at the time of Mr. Wade's appointment. And that uh, Mr. Wade um, didn't offer any... Uh, any, what's the word here, insistence 
that he or she um, pursue any uh, prosecutorial discretion on this particular case. So we'll see how this uh, ends up. Uh, to me, it looks like it's it's not good for her and definitely undermines the case, right? Because whether you're guilty or not, when they start throwing mud like this, it's typically your job to say, <clears throat> uh, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to step aside for the sake of, uh, you know, justice to be done here, for the sake of uh, this case to move forward, blah, blah, blah. I don't think she's doing that because she seems to be doubling down. And at least as of as of now, she's doubling down. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know what's going to happen with her, uh, but it, it, it seems like she's becoming defensive. And listen, I can become defensive just like anybody else, but I'm learning in life. Becoming defensive is not a great response. Just isn't. Uh, sometimes we feel the need to to defend ourselves or to set the record straight or to you know correct a wrong or whatever. But ultimately, to the outsider looking in, I think you you lose. And I think Funny Willis is going to lose here. I really do. I think uh, not not that she's going to lose the case, which I do think she's going to lose, but more so, I think she's losing any public support she may have had. Right. So you've got the state of Georgia. That's now uh, the uh, Senate, the state Senate, is investigating her. Not a good look for her. Uh, now you have the media scrutinizing what's going on. Also, not a good look for her. And uh, on top of that, you've got the House Judiciary Committee in Washington looking into this. And I'll get into that in a second. But uh, this filing that's been... Um, that you know we're referring to here about Mr. Wade's appointment. It uh, also says that attacks on Special Prosecutor Wade's qualifications are factually inaccurate, unsupported, and malicious. This is uh, what you know what she's filed. Uh, in addition to providing no basis whatsoever to dismiss the invite uh, the indictment or qual- or disqualify him. Now we had uh, Doug Burns on I think last Friday, um, for uh, at right at the top of the hour and. He was telling us that he doesn't think that whatever she's done here that's wrong would get the case against Trump thrown out, irrespective of the Trump team saying they want that uh, outcome. Uh, I don't know that Doug's right or wrong, but his, his analysis is usually pretty spot on. And what they're saying here is that uh, same thing. Basically, they're saying, look, whatever you think about us, you know, they're refuting that they did anything wrong. Funny Willis and her boyfriend. But. They're saying that this doesn't this won't dis, uh, dismiss the indictment or disqualify Mr. Wade. And that's an interesting one. I would think that um, they should get rid of Mr. Wade and they should also get rid of Funny Willis and put somebody that is um, more, I don't know, uh, palatable to uh, the Georgia public. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, they go on in this uh, filing that they have put out. The truth is that Wade has uh, long distinguished himself as an exceptionally talented litigator with significant trial experience. Willis said in Wade's defense, he is a diligent and relentless advocate known for his candor with the court and a leader that's more than capable of managing the complexity of this case. District Attorney Willis has made no public statements that warrant disqualification or judicial inquiry, and she's um, criticizing this whole process. So we'll see how that whole thing works out. I think funny Willis is, is hurting herself and her case. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Again, honestly, um, I mean, I think this is a win for Trump through and through and that she doesn't win and that she eventually uh, gets removed or or recused or whatever the case is, but that she's no longer in the driver's seat here uh, along with her boyfriend. 
Now, straight ahead, I want to get to um, a bunch of things this Friday night, so I'm, I'm glad to be with you. One of the things I want to talk about is we keep seeing different polls coming out where Trump is uh, gaining support with Hispanics and a bunch of uh, polls that are also showing a similar trend with Biden losing support with uh, Latino voters. And I want to know, why are the Latinos leaving Joe Biden? What is going on? Why does that seem to be a trend? Now, listen, I know it well, but I'm wondering um, what the latest reasoning is. So for that, I want to bring in a buddy of mine. He's a former gang member, got into a gunfight, and is now in a wheelchair. He's given his life to, to the Lord. He works in ministry and in political activism. And he started a phenomenal organization called the Lexit Movement. It's a movement of Latinos exiting the left, exiting the Democrat Party. And that's why it's called Lexit. And he's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So the jury's out. It seems that we continue to see more and more Hispanic voters um, leave the support of the Democrat Party to leave the support of Joe Biden. And I think the question for many becomes why. Now, we can easily answer that, right? We can say, well, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, Hispanics uh, are just uh, fed up like everybody else about inflation. They're fed up just like everybody else on on these unnecessary um, uh, military interventions that we've been involved in. Uh, They're upset like uh, everybody else on... A number of issues, right? Inflation uh, being among them, the border being among them. These are big deals to everybody. And that's why we have so many minority voters that are saying, you know what? I I don't want anything to do with Biden. I'm just I'm done. I'm through. But there's more, right? There's more to it, because when you really press the flesh and you speak to people, you find out, well, you know what? There's there's a lot more to it. People, people are taking this stuff personally because it's affecting their families. And it just is increasingly evident. I mean, look at this. This one's coming out of Texas, right? This is in the Houston Chronicle. Uh, just a quick headline here. Texas Latinos prefer Trump over Biden in presidential election. Uh, University of Houston poll finds, right? This is uh, today. Likely Latino voters in Texas prefer Donald Trump over President Joe Biden in an expected rematch this November as they, um, you know, go head to head. And this is according to a University of Houston survey that was released uh, earlier this week. Right. Um, let's see here. Forty percent of the state's Latino voters support um, Trump. Forty seven percent of the state's uh, Latino voters uh, prefer uh, Biden. Excuse me. I'm sorry, 41% support Biden and 47% support Trump. So that's an interesting matchup with Trump up by six. I read that the wrong way. 
And that's according to the University of Houston Hobby School of Public Affairs. And we, we keep seeing polls like this from all different places, right? It's just over and over and over again. This is, seems to be the trend. So I want to bring in a, a friend of the program, a friend of mine. He's the founder of a, an amazing group of, of concerned conservative Christians that are walking away from the Democrat Party. They, they're leaving the left, and they call themselves Lexit Latinos exiting the Democrat Party. His name is Jesse Holguin. Jesse, welcome back, sir. How you doing, my brother? God bless you, man. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, brother. It's been a while. Yeah. So I know you've been out there. You've been busy. I've seen you yeah. um, at a number of events doing uh, the yeah. amazing work that you do. Um, yeah. What, what's the main thing that you're hearing right now when you're out on the front lines um, doing the activism that you do from Hispanics, from minorities, when they're, when they're saying, uh, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not, I'm not messing with the Democrats anymore? What's the number one reason? Uh, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of things. Uh, so you can't really pinpoint just one thing, but it's a lot of things. Like, especially over here on the West Coast, a lot, big thing was um, the parents are pissed off because they're grooming the kids at schools. They're pushing mm-hmm. all that stuff at the kids' at school. So we've been battling that a lot over there. And, you know, Latinos, we don't, we're not, so, then they're trying to do uh, child mutilation. And like you said, the crime, because the, well, it's bad in New York too, but the crime, all that inflation all of that stuff. So people are just fed up because like you pick any issue, basically you don't even, you can just pick any issue. Democrats are doing terrible on it. Biden is doing terrible. And you can pick the issue and they're doing terrible across the board. So people are just fed up with it. And now their eyes are open because see, they got bamboozled. A lot of Latinos, they got manipulated, bamboozled, however you want to call it. Because see, they, they tricked, the minorities, especially the, well, the blacks and Latinos, but the, they can focus on everything on race, racism, race, race, and or the past and indigenous colonizers, all that gibberish. That's oh, what yeah. they've been manipulating um, the minorities on, especially Latinos and all of them before they speak. Oh, Trump races, Republican races, everything is white nationalists and all. That's just that's what they do all the time, right? So all, they got all a lot of these minorities, so they voted for them. But now a lot of them are getting egg in their faces, and they're like, oh, now they're going to the gas station, putting gas. Now they're going to the grocery store, buying groceries. They're seeing all the crime. They're seeing they're, they're grooming their kids at school. They're seeing all of that. So they're like, whoa, they got egg on their face, and now they're waking up. So they're like, whoa. So, that, now, they're, so now they're starting to wake up because of all of, all of that stuff. Yeah, listen, I, I, I totally get it. And I, I think we hear the same things uh, on the East Coast as you guys are hearing on the West Coast. And uh, it's inspiring to see how many, um, you know, Latino moms and dads are involved in this issue uh, against um, expanding the the role of, of gender, right? Making yeah. it uh, incredibly fluid for a lot of people. And I know that's a big issue in California schools, probably even bigger than it is in, in New York and New Jersey. And well, they even made it here that they were trying to make it where they could even take your child right. from you at 12 years old, and the parents are totally against that. But go ahead. No, well, that, that was what I wanted to ask you, was how are parents responding to a lot of this big push? Because I think those are the only states in the nation, right? I think it's California, followed by New Jersey, that are both entertaining this law that says if you if you don't accept your kid's transition and you don't have to approve it either, but if you don't accept it, the school has a right to use the state's child welfare powers to take your kid away. 
totally insanity, the parental rights. Like, you know, when we went to school, they only taught yeah. math, English, science, whatever. Just stay on the subject. We don't need you to talk to our kids about sex and, and all this other gibberish and all putting all this stuff in their head. They never did that when we were in school. Never, ever. Like, why are you guys doing that? We don't need your opinion. We send our kids to school, just teach them the basics and all that, and that's it. But these, they're indoctrinating the kids, because like we always say, because they can't reproduce, so they recruit. And that's why they're, they're, that's why they're grooming kids. We've been having rallies all across, and then at the school board meetings, parents have been uh, voicing their concerns, and it's been like a big thing over here. Uh, but parents are afraid because, you know, especially Latinos, you know, we love our families and mo Latino mothers and that with their children. You don't mess with the kids. So that's like the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of Latinos. Once they seen them doing that to their kids, they're like, well, then they see like the drag shows for kids. They have little kids there. And just like all of that, people are like, even if they're not involved in politics or they don't really care either way, they don't like that. They're like, well, I'm not even really into politics all that. But I don't like they're trying to do that to the kids in school. Like Latinos, we don't like that at all, the Latinos. So, but there's a bunch of other reasons too. Like I said, it could be the inflation, the borders, even the birds. Imagine even right here, I live in LA, the heart of LA, and by, right down my street and all, there's a bunch of illegals, right? And even they don't like the open border situation, but a lot of them, they've been here for like over 10 years, 20 years, working here a long time. They've been here a long time or whatever, but... They don't even like open border. They don't even like what's going on at the border. Nobody does. It's like totally insanity. I even just read today that they're trying to give them free cards, uh, prepaid uh, credit cards to illegals oh, yeah. now. Did you see with, that? With $2,200 on them. Jesse, hang on right there. Folks, we're on with Jesse Holguin. We're going to hear a little bit more about his story and what he's up to, and we're going to get his take on the border and more when we come back. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. change when it comes to immigration in general from President Biden on down. Do you hear her talk about that? It is also directly related to the fact that these were police officers. Does that have any impact? Does that change anything? Well, 
It's so complicated because, you know, you're a New Yorker. You move through the city every day as I do. We see these people. We touch these people. They're out looking for work. They're delivering our food. They're at the gas stations and the car wash. Uh, I mean, these are people who came in waves, you know, 170,000 probably to New York City. Um, but within that group, this hardworking, you know, throngs of people in search of hope and a better life, there is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, mm-hmm. multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, this particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Um, one of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. And I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh, So there you go. You've got uh, that's John Miller. He's the CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst. And the anchors were stunned to silence saying, oh, at the end, because he basically told them that these people have come here, that while there's many people that come here with good intentions, that there are criminals coming into this country. There are people coming into this country to terrorize the country. And you know who, who else said that? Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, Donald J. Trump, right? He said that, and everybody said, oh, no, 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 because you're a bad guy. You're a bad guy. Listen to this. You have the right to close up your border. You don't need bills that complicate it and make it to a level that nobody's going to be able to do it. And the minimum was 5,000 people a day, if that can be right. It's hard to believe that that can be right, but they were negotiating to allow 5,000 people a day that's a tremendous amount. Nobody wants to have that happen to our country. And they're still not going to know where they're coming from. Right now, we have no idea who these people are that are pouring into our countries. Last night, I watched where they're beating up police officers in New York City, a gang of people that just came in that didn't speak English. Nobody knows who they are, where they come from. And very importantly, they come from, I can tell you, they come from jails and prisons. They come from mental mental institutions and insane asylums. And they're terrorists. They have a lot of terrorists coming, too. And we don't want them. I'm sorry. You know, so we had a very strong border. Jesse Holguin, you heard the analysis from CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller, leaving the anchors stunned to silence. Right. They couldn't say anything except, oh, when they realize that there are actually criminal crews coming across the border to take advantage and that these people came and had a rap sheet and they've only been here for months. And when you hear that, and it literally is backing up everything that President Trump has been saying, uh, how do you think that um, rings across to the rest of the world? It's good because it, well, everybody who started to know that uh, Democrats equals lawlessness. That's what it is wherever they're at. Like we know that in New York and over here in California, people are just walking in the stores, walking out with merchandise like nothing because they're weak on crime. They're releasing like a, a lot of the prisons over here in California are shutting down. They're releasing all prisoners. They're just it's insanity uh, what's going on. And then the people like let's say if they have like oh he's only a fifteen year old 
boy coming across the border. No, a 15-year-old boy over there is not the same as a 15-year... Don't think of him as like a 15-year-old boy from over here. A 15-year-old boy coming from one of those countries over there is hard, is totally different from a, a 15-year-old kid over here from the way they grew up and, and all right. their ways. By, by the time they're seven or eight years old, they're running around with gangs, right? And, and you know something about different. gangs, right? Exactly. You, you were in the gang life. Tell us about it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was, I was like the main leader for my gang also. Yeah, I did years in youth authority and in prison uh, for shooting. So I wasn't just in the jail for whatever. I was in there for doing shootings, gang-related shootings and, and all of that. So I know, but, but that's Jesse, all I know. Jesse, before you go on, I want, I want everybody to know, because if they can't see you, it's radio. But you're in a wheelchair today because yeah, of result of, of a shooting. Yeah, paralyzed. I'm sh I got shot and paralyzed from a gang, gang activity. Um, yeah. So I know first, and, and that who supplies all the gangs is all the drugs, all the fentanyl, and all that coming across the border. That's what supplies the gangs. So when you see this happening, and again, uh, as somebody who's been there, right, most people listening to this have not been in a gang, right, and have not yeah. been shot at or shot people in gang fights like you have. But most people listening to this uh, want to believe the best in people. And I think this is why when people hear Trump say something like, you know, these are people coming from prisons, these are people that are gang-related, whatever the case is, they're saying they're, they're bad hombres, right? Um, it's difficult for some people to believe because people genuinely want to believe the best in people. But um, when you have experience with that, you know that that's not always the case, right? Yeah. Well, that's all they want to say. That's all they want to say is, oh, poor them. And, oh, they just want to make a good life. Oh, they always say that. You notice that? But you never, you don't know how you never hear them say, oh, it's about the poor homeless or the poor children that are getting sex trafficked or, oh, the poor women getting raped or, oh, the poor people dying from fentanyl. It's never that. It's always, oh, poor illegals. They want a better life. It's always sympathy for them. But not all, all the American veterans on the streets out there poor or Americans that can't pay their bills. And all. It's never that. It's always all for the legal. That's how they manipulate. See, they're very good at manipulating. Like I said, that's how they've been manipulating minorities for so long. And they'll tell us racism and the past and all of that. That's what they do. Because, see, we have that. Like, they, they're just assaulting these police officers. They're getting right. no People don't like them getting the free insurance, free housing, all these things. So how do they combat that? How do the Democrats combat it? So it's how they combat it. They're, oh, poor people. Oh, we feel bad for them. Oh, they just want to do good. That's how they combat what we're doing because we're showing the look at look what they're doing look at getting all this and they're doing this they're stealing all these bad people and we need to secure our borders and they combat it by saying oh look at poor them and the women and it's just, that's why i said they're even trying to say oh 15 year old boy like no a 15 year old boy coming from over there is not the same as a 15 year old group over here and they're totally hard they had a hard life and they're way they're maybe like a 25 year old over here how do you think uh, illegal immigration is impacting uh, voters in your area of Los Angeles? It is it's bad because uh, people are seeing it. Because like I said, they're, they're, they're taking our jobs, like not all of them, but some taking some jobs. Even when you go to the hospitals now, they're, they're overcrowded. The schools are overcrowded. So imagine your kids, they're kind of shutting down football programs and all the different things because they're 
being over, you see them all over the streets. And over here, it's bad homeless problem. So now it's even more worse. They're like, wow, there's so many homeless and all that. And you guys are having, what's the reason why that they would want these illegals? Because we already know people are we're working them up. It's, that's the next thing on their game plan. They want to bring in all these illegals. And then the next thing on their agenda, they're going to say, so they should be able to vote. And then they're going to come out with their go-to, your racism, if you're against illegals voting, racism. You know, that's what they're going to, that's their playbook. We already know that. That's why they want all these illegals to come in, and then they're going to try to later say for them to vote, and then that's to replace all these minorities and all of us that are leaving the Democrat, all of us Americans that are waking up, they're trying to replace all those voters with all these illegals. Jesse Holguin is the founder of the Lexit movement, former gang member who now works in ministry and political activism in uh, Los Angeles and throughout the country. The movement is called the Lexit movement. It stands for Latinos exiting the left, exiting the Democrat Party. And Jesse Holguin, when we come back, I want to get your thoughts on this uh, big human trafficking bust that happened this week in Los Angeles. 500 people arrested uh, and uh, dozens uh, rescued uh, as a result of this um, tra- human trafficking sting. I want to get your take on that and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. a statewide task force made up of dozens of law enforcement agencies who went after these guys and they netted more than 500 arrests. North of 500 arrests were made statewide by a task force made up of more than 90 law enforcement agencies in California. The LA Regional Human Trafficking Task Force made the announcement earlier today of the arrests at a news conference at the Hall of Justice. L.A. County Sheriff Robert Luda not only talks about the arrests, but the number of victims that were saved in their 2024 operation that happened last week. 54 adults were rescued. 11 children were rescued. 40 suspected traffickers and exploiters were arrested. 271 sex buyers were also arrested. In total, There were 539 criminal arrests made during this week-long operation. All right, that's a report by Sid Garcia, ABC 7 News, uh, discussing the 500 people that were arrested for trafficking-related charges uh, by um, Sheriff Robert Luna and uh, their operation to arrest these folks. I forget the name of it. Uh, I just saw it, and, and it, it's thrown a blank on my mind. But uh, I'm always I'm happy over, to see. I'm over here, and I haven't even seen it. Oh, really? You haven't seen it yet? It, it, it just happened, I think, on, on Tuesday was when I saw the news, and they just had that press conference. And it, it's about time, I think, that we see arrests that, you know, usually it's like, oh, 10 arrested, 12 arrested, 20 arrested. This was 500 people that were arrested. And um, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think it's a great thing. And it just goes to show, remember when that Sound of Freedom movie came out and they were, were trying to talk about it. They were saying, oh, conspiracy theorists. Oh, yeah, and right. Totally against it. They were trying to bash the movie. It's like we were nuts and all queuing on and all that. And we're like, what? That's real. But we all knew, especially us Latinos, we all know and that that's true in those in our countries. We know that, that that's common in our country. So they, they didn't fool all of us. You know, Jesse Holguin, as uh, you bring up a really good point, and, and that movie, by the way, The Sound of Freedom, is on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you could watch it for free. But yeah. the the um, the point of that movie was really interesting, and uh, I do remember a lot of people pushing back, and and some large magazines were were taking exception to the idea of the movie, saying that it was you know uh, conspiracy theory pushed by uh, QAnon followers, yeah. and. You know, it's it's really messed up that I guess our critics on the left would trivialize child trafficking and child exactly. exploitation just for their own political benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's disgusting. That shows you how that shows you what evil disgustingness that we're up against to do that. Like you said, imagine that. Why would who would be against? pedophiles and human trafficking, raping and that of children. Should, shouldn't that be something that we should all be in agreement with and, and like that? How are you guys attacking? Well, then that's a true story too. They even have the video proof, like everything, the true story. How could you guys be attacking that like that? It's totally shows you, like I said, how evil that, because we all know that Hollywood, a bunch of pedophiles, like all of that, it's all the same thing in one. Yeah, because I you know, think if they're gonna, that's one day that's gonna be their uh, leftist agenda. They're gonna one day push pedophilia. I, well, you know, it's funny. I've had a number of guests on this program who who've thought that that is part of of the agenda on the left. That there are some radicals on the left that said, you know, we're gonna hijack this movement and we're not gonna make it about you know being an alternative to to the conservative movement, but really um, an agenda that's pushing the idea of lowering the age of accountability for a lot of things um, in particular so that what they call um, intergenerational sex or um, what's the other term that they use? Oh, geez, I'm forgetting it. Um, hmm. oh, it'll come to me, but it's a term that they've been using to, instead of pedophilia, they, they call it a um, minor attracted person. That's it. M-A-P. They call it a minor attracted person. I mean, I think that's absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, if 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 I would have told my dad, God rest his soul, he's not around. But if I would have told my dad, if he would have said one of these, you know, weirdo pedophiles, and I would have said, no, 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 that's a minor attracted person, Dad. He, I think, I think he would have lost it. Guys, it shows about with sick, evil days uh, we're in. But even like I said, the even the gall for them to even come out attacking that movie and like that, that that shows how bad it is now they think that they have free reign like how like i said okay even after drag shows and that like why do they want kids there like okay for a run i wouldn't even want a Great woman point. stripping i wouldn't want a woman stripping in front of little children i wouldn't want even want that right let alone some man but then you ask yourself what kind of a man wants to dress half naked in front of children. What kind of man is that? Right. And, and you know, what's interesting is, again, like I, I go back to many people are very well-intentioned. They don't see the bad in things. 
So when you take somebody who just wants to live a good life, that wants to just be a peaceful, kind person, and they hear, oh, you know, they're having drag queen story hour with the kindergarten kids at the library. They're thinking, oh, how nice. You know, I don't want my kid to be a bigot. And I've heard that if you don't like drag queens, you're a bigot. So then maybe I should bring my kid to the library so they could do the drag queen story hour. And we could all have fun with the drag queens because Ultimately, we want our children to be kind. Ultimately, we want our children to, to be uh, accepting of other people. We want, right? And people start to, to think these things. And again, there's nothing wrong with these thoughts in so much as really asking, why is it that they want to be around your children? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Jesse Hogan, stick around. We're going to wrap up when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. We're going to hear from John Andrasik. You know him from the band Five for Fighting. Uh, we're going to talk about the debut of his latest song. That's coming up in the next hour. But right now, we're wrapping up with our brother, Jesse Holguin. Jesse Holguin's a former gang member that got caught up in a gunfight, ended up paralyzed, and now is serving in ministry and doing political activism. He's the founder of a group called the Lexit Movement. And Jesse Hogan, let everybody know how they could follow the work that you're doing. Uh, on Instagram, on Lexit Movement, or then on Twitter, Lexit Movement, and pretty much everywhere. And our website is wearelexit.com, but uh, mostly on on all, all social media platforms, it's Lexit Movement. You're doing outstanding work out there, Jesse Holguin. If uh, if I was ever in a uh, in a bar fight, you're the guy I want next to me, brother. <laughs> you got a lot of heart. <laughs> well, you stupid. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, you yeah. do. You still do. You're out there and you're doing your thing, and I really appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, folks, give them a follow at Lexit Movement on all of the social media. And uh, Jesse, Godspeed to you, my friend. Um, before I let you go, what, what do you have coming up? Uh, what's uh, the next big thing you're working on? Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow we're going to be at the caravan. There's, uh, there's a bunch of caravans coming from Texas. We went to, um, K- San Diego. And they're going to be headed to Arizona to go to the border, the border ca- uh, caravan. So we'll be out there tomorrow in San Diego. Okay. And you guys are, I guess, um, doing like ministry work or, um, outreach activism. Yeah, we do all that too. But we're gonna, right now we're going to be focusing on candidates. All the oh, coming you're up. in those so regions be, supporting candidates. Yeah, Got it. We're going to be helping pushing for candidates to get a get. So we need to get these Democrats out. <laughs> well, that, and that's the, that's the the nature of the work you're doing. Uh, the Lexit movement: Latinos leaving the Democrat Party, exiting the Democrat Party. Jesse Hogan, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. And I thank you for staying up late with us. Uh, thanks, brother. God bless. You, you got it, brother. Godspeed. Folks, we're coming right back with John Andrasik from the band Five for Fighting. He's going to talk about his recently debuted song. It's uh, themed around what's going on in Israel, so you don't want to miss that. We'll have a clip of that for you as well. And uh, we're going to talk about the importance that music has on the social conversation that we're having globally. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Live 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the second hour of the program. Uh, it's Friday night. Our phone number, if you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, feel free, 833-4825-337-8334, Valdez. And the big story of the day, of course, the United States has struck multiple targets in Syria. We're going to get to that um, just after the bottom of the hour. We're also um, discussing what's going on with Fanny Willis, who I like to call Funny Willis. Funny Willis, and she's up to her funny business as usual. She's now admitted to having a personal relationship with uh, prosecutor Nathan Wade and denying any conflict of interest there. We uh, had a little bit of discussion on that. We'll get into that as well. Um, I also want to talk about the importance that music has on the culture. Um, music is both a driver of the culture and a barometer of the culture, right? And it's always been that way. I mean, think back to the song, you know, uh, Hotel California, right? It's about some guy doing drugs and OD and all that. And that was what was going on in that era at, and in that place at that time. And music usually tells a story, gives a snapshot. Sometimes there's, um, you know, uh, an embellishment. But for the most part, it, it like I said, both drives the culture but is also a barometer of the culture. You can really get a sense of what's going on, who's who and what's what. It reminds me of a, um, a time a couple of years ago, I don't know, it might have been 2019, where in Puerto Rico, there was an ongoing battle with the governor. Um, his name was Ricardo Rosselló. And he um, made some disparaging comments following Hurricane uh, Maria. And it offended a lot of people. And they called for his resignation. And when the biggest genre of music in Puerto Rico uh, is reggaeton, right? Uh, part of the urban uh, genre. And when those guys got involved, the musicians, singers, songwriters, etc., they led this movement. And it informed the culture and they flooded the streets and they ultimately got the resignation of the governor. And it just made me think, I wish we could get the resignation of Joe El Baboso Biden, right? How cool would that be? Um, I don't think we would. If we rushed the streets, they'd say it's another January 6th. But my point is that music has an incredible uh, power and, and it's, it's truly um, something that I think um, is a part of our lives that we don't always realize how important or how powerful it really is. And John Andrasik, uh, you know him from the group Five for Fighting. And uh, if you don't remember their, their big song back in the days, um, 100 Years, and he wrote a song called Can One Man Save the World? And, and he spoke about how inspired he was of the Ukrainian people, their courage and determination in the face of the Russian onslaught, and how it gives all of us hope and fortitude for, for all freedom-loving people. And I, and I think that's right. I think ultimately, like I said this earlier, people want to see the good in other people. They really do, unless they're taught or told to see it otherwise. 
And that's why I think it's so important for music to continue to inform the culture and and to tell the story of the times. And I want to welcome as our guest, John Andrazik from Five for Fighting. John, welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet, brother. And, um, you know, we're talking about your, some of your, your previous songs. And, in fact, you have a new song that was inspired by the events that occurred on October 7th. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think we all were, you know, horrified about, you know, watching the atrocities on October 7th. I think for many of us, it reminded us of 9-11, frankly reminded us of the uh, disastrous Afghan withdrawal. Some of the images, we just were shocked. But afterwards, I don't think we expected, you know, 2,000 people celebrating the atrocities in New York City the next day. And we continued to see the moral collapse of many of our institutions, certainly the media, obviously college campuses. You know, Rich, I was honored to play the concert for New York after 9-11. You you know, you'll remember back in the day that they had all the the posters of the missing on, on the 7th Avenue. And you'd walk by and you'd be sad knowing those folks were never coming home. But could you imagine people ripping those posters down? And that's what we're seeing. And then even in the House of Representatives, we have Hamas sympathizers. So that really kind of made me angry. And, um, and the theme of the song, okay, is the fact that we're not okay. And I think it speaks to the moral collapse of all our institutions. And certainly it's been going on long before October 7th, but I think it was a wake up call for, for many of us. And frankly, also this, you know, you talked about how music can matter and change things for the good, the silence of the music industry after October 7th has been deafening. So that was another reason I felt obligated to write this song. Well, good for you. I'm glad you did. Um, and folks, again, just as a reminder, we're on with singer and songwriter John Andrazik. Uh, he's uh, five for fighting, and um, you, you, they've had plenty of hits, and you've heard some of their tracks that we just played. And he's got a new song called OK, inspired by what happened uh, on October 7th when Hamas brutally attacked Israel. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you wrote it. And again, um, you know, it, it, it's important that I think someone like yourself, a Grammy-nominated singer and songwriter, uh, puts out a song like this because it's a topic that has to be addressed, right? And I'm I'm a big yeah. hip hop guy, right? I'm uh, I I yeah. grew up in New York and uh, I was born in the late '70s, so hip hop was the thing when I was growing up. That and freestyle music, and and hip hop originally, um, whether I agreed with their politics or not, like Public Enemy and whatnot, these were all very political messages. the The idea was they were you know speaking truth to power in so many ways, and. And I've always had respect for that, whether I agreed with the message per se or not. I think it's important that you 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 do that, right? Because the minute that we don't do that, we become Cuba, we become Venezuela, we become uh, these these despotic countries or countries that are under despotic regimes where people don't have a voice. So I'm grateful for for the work that you're doing, and I want to play a, a little bit of the. Um, the the new song okay before we go to commercial and then come back and discuss it a little more folks um if you're just tuning in again this is uh okay it's uh, an ode to israel by grammy nominated singer and songwriter john andrazik from five for fighting this is america at night with rich valdez Rich Valdez. 
John Andrasik, welcome back. Uh, I, I love the new song. I think it's fantastic. I love that you're taking a stand and you're you know using your gift, your talent to to actually to let everybody know what's going on because this is a message that's being drowned out. I was um, looking at some reporting the other day where there was um, somebody had taken the time to measure the amount of um, I guess it was on Instagram or Facebook, uh, but the amount of videos that were being put out um, for one side versus the other, like pro Hamas versus uh, pro Israel. And when, um, when they were compared, it was something like five to one pro Hamas. So, I mean, in terms of the information war, Israel's already behind the eight ball and, and gaining, you know, people, Hamas is gaining public support. And this is why we even see it in the halls of Congress, like you mentioned earlier. So when people tune in to uh, OK, your new song, uh, what, are, what can they expect to see in the music video? Well, before I answer that, I have to let you know, as you're a big hip-hop fan, this morning I had breakfast sitting next to Flava Flays. How cool is that? <laughs> so I That's thought real you'd cool. appreciate that. I would the love Flava that. Flava <laughs> never, you never look better. Um, yeah, yeah the, I, I you know, bet. The video is... Yeah, the video's not my opinion. It's, it's, just, it's just clips and images of what happened, of the kidnappings, of the rapes, the murders, uh, the Hamas atrocities, and it, it's images of the Harvard, MIT, uh, Penn presidents basically saying, um, well, you know, if people do these atrocities, it uh, it's only depends on context. And if you yeah, cannot right. condemn evil that is Hamas, then nothing is evil. You know, Rashida Tlaib refusing to condemn the beheading of babies. But it also, uh, the video shows heroes. And some people say it's a pro-Israel video. It's really an anti-evil video. One of the heroes in this video is a Palestinian woman who is condemning Hamas for stealing all the aid. So not is it the fact that we have to support Israel in this battle for good versus evil, because it's really not Israel versus Hamas. It's those who want to destroy civilization, like the UN, and those who want to keep civilization and the values of the West. So I think all of that is illustrated in the video, and I think that's why it's reacting. You know, Israel shared it on their social media the other day. And I nice. think so many Jewish people feel abandoned by everybody and, and the arts. And I think one thing this video is doing is letting them know they are not alone in this. And I think the, the silent majority supports them, but you know, Rich, I think if we don't stand up, the first line of the song is, it's a time for choosing. We have to stand up. We have to fight this culture war. We have to fight this war versus good versus evil. I know it sounds dramatic, but our kids, over half our kids, support Hamas over Israel. And that is because of TikTok. It's because of yeah. Instagram, what you just said. Um, I, I asked a friend of my son's the other day, who do you support, Hamas or Israel? And he said, Hamas. I go, why? Because it's mainstream. Can you, you know, because it's mainstream and that's our fault. That's our fault as artists. That's our fault as colleges. Um, so we have a lot of work to do, but hopefully this song, as you mentioned at the top of this segment, music can transcend. One song yeah. can transcend a thousand speeches. And I saw it with my song, Superman after 9-11, songs can provide solace and raise issues in ways no other medium can. Yeah, amen to that. Folks, we're on with John Andrasik. He is a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter from Five for Fighting. He's got a brand-new song called OK. Make sure you check it out. 
on YouTube. Check out the video. It's very powerful. Um, I don't think hearing it only on audio does it the justice that it, you really got to watch this thing in its entirety. Now, John Andrasik, when uh, are you taking this on the road? Is this part of your tour schedule? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it, it's interesting these days because I'll certainly play my songs, you know, Hundred Years and Superman. But the last, you know, few years, you know, I wrote a song, Blood in My Hands, about the Afghan withdrawal, the debacle that that was. Mm. As you mentioned, I wrote a song supporting Ukraine. We actually went to Ukraine and performed the song with the Ukrainian orchestra. And now this song, oh, yeah. kind of about October seventh. So it's it's kind of interesting to see. Um, the collections of songs and, and not everybody appreciates every song, but as you said, uh, I think it's the obligation of artists to speak their mind. You know, the, you listen to the music of the sixties, you sense the times and, and I've always kind of been an old school guy and um, we're out on the road uh, in April and uh, with the string quartet, we'll be with the rock band over the summer. So it'll be very interesting to see the response to, to this new song for sure. And tell us a little bit about your tour schedule. If people want to, you know, check you out, where, where are you going to be? I remember last summer, um, Mr. Producer called me and said, hey, you want to go to Atlantic City? Uh, John and Jessica's playing. I said, yeah, hell yeah, I want to go. Uh, it just, it, it, the scheduling didn't work out. So if you're back in town, anywhere in the East Coast, we're definitely going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to crash your party. Oh, anytime. Yeah, we uh, will be kind of in the, the Midwest uh, in early April with the Screen Quartet. A few East Coast dates will be on the West Coast at the end of April. Um, this summer, we'll certainly be out with the rock band all over the place. All the, all this, the dates are on fiveforfighting.com. You know, it's a family show. Uh, bring the kids, bring the grandparents. And uh, I, think, uh, I think we have something for everyone. And, of course, Rich, uh, you and Mr. Producer are always on the guest list, and we'd love to have you to show this year. Oh, that's really kind. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm definitely pulling that string because I, I want to do it. And um, let everybody know where they can, uh, where they can go to reserve tickets or take a look at the uh, tour schedule. Yeah, everything's on fiveforfighting.com. You know, um, I, I, I just do want to let folks know that all the proceeds from this new song are going to uh, nonprofits that, uh, that combat anti-Semitism. So, Folks sharing the song on Instagram, Five for Fighting Music, on Twitter, John Andrasik, Facebook, Five for Fighting. It really takes all of us. And um, whether you have 10 million followers or 10, uh, we, ha we all have a role to play. Speaking of followers, how do people follow you? What platforms are you on and what's the handle? Yeah, yeah. John Andrasik on Twitter um, uh, and then Five for Fighting Music on Instagram. Uh, five for Fighting on Facebook. And um, you can always email me at the website, too. I, I answer every email. And uh, it's, a, it's been a big pleasure to be on your show. I'm a fan. I listen to you late at night, and uh, oh, we'll have to awesome. do this again sometime. Well, I, I'm a fan, too, and Godspeed to you. Keep up the good work. It takes a lot of courage to deliver a difficult message, and uh, sometimes when you're not popular, right? It's, not, it's an unpopular message sometimes, and well, both of us do. And uh, I know sometimes yeah. you just got to grin and bear it and deal with the critics. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah. stay strong, my brother, and we'll definitely catch up with you over the summer. Folks, that's John Andrasik. You can get him uh, at Five for Fighting or at John Andrasik on the social media. FiveforFighting.com is the website. Make sure you get your tickets to see him if he's in your neck of the woods. Uh, John, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I thank you for staying up late, brother. My pleasure. Thank you, brother. You got it. All right, folks, straight ahead, we're going to talk about this uh, big brewing story in the daytime here. We've been getting reports, actually, more like evening time, right? Uh, around dusk, we got all the reports about multiple strikes 
Joe El Baboso Biden pulled the trigger and went after all the, uh, I don't know what they are yet, <laughs> but uh, my, my prediction was that they would be empty buildings or places where, you know, where nobody was going to be because they were all told to leave already. But we're going to get the scoop on that with uh, Colonel Eric Buer, uh, United States Marine Corps. And he um, he served some time in Baghdad. He knows it well. So we're going to talk about the news of the day with him. I want you to make sure you stay tuned for that. Plus, then we got Open Phone America, Friday night open phone. We're going to have some good times there as well. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. military forces struck more than 85 targets at seven facilities utilized by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and the militant groups that they sponsor. Three of the facilities are in Iraq. Four of them are in Syria. Numerous aircraft, including B-1 bombers dispatched from the United States, were involved in this operation. All right, that is John Kirby, a retired admiral who is the spokesperson for the National Security Council. And... We are discussing the strikes by the United States on the, I don't know what to call them anymore, I guess, uh, Iran proxy groups that are, you know, kind of hiding out in Iraq, hiding out in Syria. And today the United States, uh, after a highly announced attack, <laughs> decided to um, uh, go ahead and strike these locations. I want to have this conversation with uh, retired Colonel Eric Buer, United States Marine Corps. He's uh, the author of Ghosts of Baghdad, Marine Corps Gunships on the Opening Days of the Iraq War. This is a topic he knows well. Uh, Colonel Buer, welcome, sir. Rich, good evening. Uh, thanks for having me back. appreciate it. You bet. You bet. I, um, I, I really want to tap into your expertise on this issue because a you literally wrote the book on it and b i'd like your your thoughts i'm just a critic on the sidelines that has a bias towards joe biden and i call him names every day and make fun of him but uh, i really do believe that he's done a bad job here in announcing that he's going to go get the bad guys and allowing the bad guys to escape and lord you know do lord knows what with whatever you know anything that they had like are we really hurting them by blowing up a building where perhaps nobody is, Colonel. Rich, it's tough. You know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a very long and tedious process working through the National Security Council and getting consensus. Listening to your advisors, listening to the intelligence reports. Uh, there's emotional response always when we're, you know, we're looking to have a, a, a clear military response to the loss of you know, three great Americans who were killed in in the Tower Twenty Two facility. Yeah. So it's difficult. Yeah, you know, we did spend some time telegraphing this. Um, you know, I think it's been very carefully coordinated not to strike any targets inside Iran. You're right; they're their proxies. They're the Islamic resistance in Iraq. Um, it, it certainly goes after their Quds forces, the Iraqi forces, their special forces. I'm sorry, the Iranian forces, special forces. They're operating in Iraq and Syria. I, 
you know, it's really going to be a little bit of time to tell how effective uh, a message we've sent. Uh, I think this is only the first round. This is all really co- we call conventional aircraft coming off aircraft carriers, uh, long-range bombers striking these targets. Uh, but we'll see in the next day or so uh, the level of effectiveness. Well, that was a very fair answer, and I could see why you became a colonel. Uh, so a very, very fair answer. But um, I, I, I guess um, I, I'm hopeful that we will have struck something of that's that's noteworthy. I, I also think, and you tell me what you think on this one, uh, I remember the bad guys saying, I don't know, maybe Monday, saying, hey, by the way, we're not going to bomb anything else because we don't want to embarrass Baghdad. And uh, did you hear that report? Absolutely. So it, it, that's another issue, right? We're, we're in Iraq, 2,500 troops in Iraq, really fighting ISIS um, um, at the, at the, you know, the will of the Iraqi uh, leadership right now. So it, it is a balance uh, when you're striking targets inside of their country. Um, you know, this is what the Iranians do the best, right? They're trying to splinter, uh, trying to fact, fracture any relationships they can, and they'll do that. And they've been doing that very effectively, whether it's through, we saw on October 7th through the proxy war of Hamas. Uh, we see it every day with Hezbollah. Uh, we see it now with the Houthis in the last several weeks. Uh, those have Iranian special forces on the ground. And we just saw it recently with this attack on Tower 22. Uh, clearly, those folks that have that made that attack happen, don't have the ability to fly uh, advanced drones. They can't, you know, provide the logistic support, the training, the intelligence, and that comes directly from Tehran. And so that is where the problem lays. It lays in the leadership in Tehran. And I think until we really strike at the heart of the issue, uh, which is the Iranian leadership, uh, we're going to continue to have these really, uh, you know, as like I said, we're going to see how effective these, uh, these attacks have been. Right. And I think that's a fair statement. My, my, I guess what I was really getting at is saying if, if we know that they're saying, look, we're going to ease up on these attacks, right? The bad guys are saying they're easy. They, they don't want to embarrass Baghdad. Um, it, it, can we even assume that that the Biden strike had any effect at all because they were already saying that they were going to stop hitting these targets? Or am I reading that wrong? So there, it's, uh, there's several groups out there. The group that uh, you know, claimed they're going to uh, cease uh, attacks, they were really – they certainly are a splinter group. Uh, the group that certainly has not said is, is the Islamic resistance in Iraq, and those are the, that's the Shia-based organization clearly right. supported by the Iranians that carried out the attacks. So I, I think we'll let them all do uh, is it gave them some time to hide, right? The Houthis, they shut off all radio transmissions from the sources I've talked to, radio uh, silent radar shut down and giving no easy targets um, to any attacking platforms that are coming in. Uh, the same can be said for Hezbollah. You know, Hamas is in their own piece. Uh, and then it gave it an opportunity for the folks uh, responsible for Tower 22 to move. Uh, though we certainly tracked them and we hit those seven targets. Um, it gave them an opportunity uh, to move and gave an opportunity to make that decision cycle, a targeting cycle, even more challenging uh, for us. So to get back to your question, we don't know how effective they're going to be. Um, even if they're incredibly effective at knocking out proxies, it's not going to stop the root cause. It's not going to stop the fact that we've emboldened the Iranians to continue these attacks. Um, so, we'll, you know, it's, that, that is the, the, the core of the issue. The crux of the issue is can we get to the Iranians? Can we force their hand? 
um, and that's yet to be seen. Folks, we are on with uh, Colonel Eric Buer. He is the author of Ghosts of Baghdad. You got to get a couple of copies of this one for yourself, one to give away. And Colonel, uh, you were uh, a fighter pilot. Is that right? I was an attack helicopter pilot. I was a Marine attack helicopter pilot. Uh, did that for, uh, for my, for my first, uh, my first career. I would say it sounds like fun, but it actually sounds pretty dangerous. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I don't, I don't envy you, but it does sound kind of cool. You know, I think anybody's up in the air doing the, you know, edge of your seat stuff is, is cool, but obviously very dangerous folks are coming back with, uh, Colonel Eric Buer, author of the ghosts of Baghdad straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. I have little doubt that the pilots and their crews uh, had a tactical success tonight. I think it's an open question whether this will be a strategic success, by which I would set the standard for whether these attacks on Americans and international shipping stops. I have serious reservations about whether it will be a strategic success for numerous reasons. Just simply put, one example. Uh, we let Iran's leaders hightail it back to Iran from Syria and Iraq. So I, I suspect we did not kill many key Iranian leaders in these regions. Uh, Joe Biden also has shown no indication that he's going to reverse his failed Iran policy, really 11 years of failed Obama-Biden Iran policy of trying to appease and conciliate and grant concessions to the Ayatollahs. As far as I know, he is still giving sanctions relief to Iran to the tune of billions of dollars, even after the October 7th atrocities. So while I don't doubt that this will be a tactical success tonight and in the days ahead, I have very serious reservations about whether this will be a strategic success. We'll know soon enough whether the attacks have stopped. And uh, there we have uh, Senator Tom Cotton, um, in effect, echoing what our guest, uh, Colonel Eric Buer, United States Marine Corps, retired, is uh, sharing with us as well. And, Colonel, um, we, we hear, I guess, everybody's thinking the same thing, right? Is this going to work? We'll see if they keep attacking us. Uh, I'm going to pose the question a different way. Uh, I guess a hypothetical. It, it, forget the Biden administration. Let's call it a Rich Valdez administration. And I call upon you uh, to to be my advisor. And I say, Colonel, I want you as a, an attack helicopter pilot to go in there and I want you to kill every last IRGC commander that you can find at these installations. Uh, what would your um, strategic advice be to me? Well, I, I tell you, we can't do it. Um, I can't do it. And we probably don't want to do it. Um, we don't want to create such a tremendous void and uh, and literally turn world opinion against us. Um, w- what I would tell you to do is continue to put enormous pressure on the proxies, eliminate the proxies, isolate the Iranians, isolate the 
Iranian leadership from their own people, uh, continue drastic economic sanctions, which have appeared to be very effective, although we very rarely um, ever report on it. And then these other tools we have in our kit. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of ability in the cyber, in cyber uh, projection of power. We can limit their ability to communicate internally. We can truly isolate the country. Now, we're all empathetic to people trying to live their lives there, but it's the Iranian leadership, uh, as you would expect, they've done everywhere, who puts those populations at risk. Is it so my, my advice, again, yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, I got you. Is it my immaturity or hubris that uh, thinks that because they killed three American soldiers, we should kill at least three of their guys? Well, no, in that sense, uh, we found this in a lot of places. If you, if you begin targeting the most senior leadership um, and what you have below them is oftentimes more radical leadership, more more driven leadership. So you, if you end up targeting very not sometimes pragmatic, long-term thinkers, even though their thinking is oftentimes very demented in my mind, um, they understand uh, things geopolitically. Um, now, if you target them, which, which we've done in the past, we've done it in many countries, um, there's certain peoples. We targeted Soleimani, uh, really a great decision that really yeah, put so. a massive hamstring on the Quds forces, absolutely. Um, and so those types of targeting, you know, those are certainly on the table um, because those folks can be – their fingerprints are all over these attacks. Um, when we look at going up their food chain – you know, I, I think at some point um, we have to give what I would call these isolated targetings, attacks, um, isolation of their proxies, isolation of the government, give that some time to take hold. And I think in the next couple of days we're going to see, uh, I suspect we're going to see um, uh, ratcheting up. I think you'll see Tomahawks cruise missiles coming out of submarines and aircraft and shipping. I think we'll see more strikes um, I think the pressure will be ramped up. I, I may be wrong, but I, I think that's what yeah. we're going to see. Right. Listen, I, I'm not looking to to start a war. I'm just thinking, you know. And again, you know, you're you're the colonel here, not me. Uh, I um I feel like if if you come after three of our guys, we have to send an incredibly strong message, so that you don't do it again, and that none of your friends think that they can do that as well. So, uh, I think you're absolutely right in that sense. I mean, appeasement is seen as weakness in in their world in that neighborhood. It's uh, it's it's a we believe it's a sign of maturity to show restraint and that we're somehow um, understanding of it and we're going to you know just say don't do that again. They see that as weakness. We've only seen that as emboldening the Iranians. Um, and you know, Tower Twenty Two was on no one's radar uh, until about a week ago, and then an entire new proxy. Um, executes these, executes these uh, attacks, and it just shows how much we've emboldened the Iranians. And we, we, we have to stop that very clearly. Clear messages again: proxies, isolation, and then let let it sit. Um, I, I, I think that's what the administration is going to do. I, I believe he's got a lot of smart advisors uh, from the chairman down. Uh, they're going to give him good advice. All right, folks, we're on with Colonel Eric Buer. And uh, we're going to come right back. He is the author of Ghosts of Baghdad. We're going to hear a little bit about that when we come back, plus how you can um, follow and keep up to speed with uh, Colonel Buer when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The United States has continued to work toward a goal that all of us should aspire to, a sustainable resolution of this conflict, so that Israelis and Palestinians can live side by side and enjoy equal measures of security, dignity, and freedom. Our engagement is the best opportunity to reunite all hostages with their families. Hostages, the Security Council has in previous resolutions urged Hamas and other groups to release. Is Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she's the United States Ambassador to the United Nations, uh, saying that these negotiations continue. Um, there's uh, obviously been lots of talk about a 40-day a uh, pause on fighting in Gaza. Um, it seems like Israel's at the table. I, I haven't heard... Uh, much uh, to the contrary of that. Um, I'm not uh, sure if this is something that they're actually going to be able to pull off. I know just, I don't know, two months ago or a month and a half ago, they were talking about uh, four-hour ceasefire, and that was difficult to get consensus on. So uh, I'm I'm really, really skeptical about this. Uh, Colonel Buer, what, what say you in regards to this? It's difficult. You know, the, the Israelis were pushed to the brink uh, they they see this as a fight for their their existence. Uh, Hamas has said it's in, it's in their charter that uh, one of their goals is the destruction of Israel and destruction of Jews. It's a it's a sickening level of hatred that is not going to go away with a ceasefire. Um, right. It, we all feel for the Palestinian people. Absolutely, um, Hamas is their their governance, and they had more than enough time. They've been given billions to build infrastructure, electricity, water, food stores a route uh, through the Rafa gate to the south uh, with some work with their, their their neighbors in Egypt. They did none of that. Uh, clearly, their intent was to use their people as a target, as a shield, uh, to gain as much notoriety, to gain as much sympathy throughout the world. And now they're stuck in a conflict uh, with a very determined foe. The Israelis uh, understand their backs are against the wall, and uh, they can't ever let this happen again. People really very quickly forget what happened what happened on October 7th it was uh, it was a massacre it was a, it's a tragedy it'll never be forgotten israel it's their it's their 9/11 it's their december 7th it's however you want to frame it it's uh, it's in their it's in their fiber for the rest of their existence yeah i think that's really well put and i i totally agree with that and um in the minute or minute and a half we have remaining i'd like you to let everybody know how they can get a copy of uh, Ghosts of Baghdad and how they can follow you and the work that you're doing. Thanks, Rich. Uh, you can get the Ghosts of Baghdad anywhere you get your, your, your books. You can go to Barnes & Noble, certainly Amazon. Uh, my website, ericbuer.com. Uh, there you can certainly order the book. 
happy to autograph it for you and in the, in the, in personalize it. But also there you can see I write a, a syndicated column uh, talking about the same things we're talking about tonight, uh, and I continue to stay as engaged as I can. And so yeah, ericbuer.com is the best way to get a hold of me, and uh, again, you can find Ghosts of Baghdad wherever you wherever you, wherever you shop. I'll be sure to check out the column. Uh, because I'm always interested in what you have to say. Folks, Colonel Eric Buer, check out the book, Ghosts of Baghdad. Colonel, thank you for being uh, a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and for staying up late with us. Thanks for your pleasure. Of course. And folks, Open Phone America is coming up right now, right after this. Get your calls in, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to our number three. We call it Open Phone America. It's Friday night. Give us a call. Here's the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Of course, you can always use the legacy line if you'd like. Uh, that's always open and available. And uh, I love Open Phone America because you get to call in and kind of... Uh, bring everything that you want to bring to the table and have that conversation. If you disagree with me, we get to your calls first. If you have uh, never called the show before, we'll get to your calls first. And um, I'm also looking forward to speaking with uh, so many of our regulars that call in. And I want to talk about a couple of things tonight. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. I see some calling already. And I just wanted to uh, share a couple of stories because there's a few things that are interesting in the world. Uh, the actor Carl Weathers, Action Jackson, Apollo Creed, and so many other important roles. Uh, he's died. He was 76 years old, and uh, he was in Predator. He was in a bunch of movies. Um, they say, I think it's natural causes, died in his sleep, 76 years old. Uh, R.I.P. Carl Weathers, Action Jackson, Apollo Creed, right? Uh, I always enjoyed watching Carl Weathers on the silver screen. He was a really, really uh, good actor, and uh, and he was... He was just a good, seemed like a good guy, right? You know, back in the days, all those actors were, seemed cool. You know, it wasn't like today where you have these actors that are like villains off screen. Anyway, a uh, federal judge has scrapped the March 4th date for the trial for uh, Trump's case, um, uh, the January 6th case. And they don't know when the new date is going to be. That sounds like a win for Trump as well. So what are they going to do? Make it uh, October, right? The October surprise, dragging you into court. So uh, I think that that's probably a win for Trump unless they bring it into the summer, which is probably better. Uh, the the summer is probably better than the spring. And let's see here. Uh, Target, civil rights, activity book, over incorrect identification. We'll get to that in a little bit. 
Supreme Court won't block West Point from considering race during admissions process. Hmm. That's interesting. And uh, this is the one I really wanted to get to. Listen to this. A pigeon has been held for eight months in India on suspicion that it was a Chinese spy. And it's been released today. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, you're reading from The Onion. You're reading one of these funny stories. No, no, this is CBS News. This is a real story. A pigeon that was suspected of spying for China was released from cat- uh, captivity this week after Indian officials had detained it, according to PETA of India. The Animal Welfare Organization intervened after hearing that the pigeon had been held at an animal hospital for eight months. Oh, my gosh, the uproar. India's uh, police station in Mumbai found the pigeon in May of 2023, and according to PETA, the bird had writing on its wings, but the message was illegible. Authorities suspected it was being used for spying. The pigeon was sent to Bai Sakarabai Dinshaw Pet Hospital. Petit Hospital, excuse me, not Pete, <laughs> Petit Hospital for animals uh, to be examined medically and investigated. Uh, months later, the animal hospital asked police if they could release the bird since the bird was healthy and was uh, taking up cage space at the hospital. PETA of, in- of India intervened when officials failed to provide an appropriate response. The police department eventually told the hospital that they could, in fact, release the bird in 2011. An Indian court ruled birds have a fundamental right to live free in the open sky, according to PETA. Uh, Caging the birds in the country is not allowed following this 2015 order. And a pigeon, which was detained on suspicion of spying back in 2015 when a 14-year-old boy in Manwal, India, uh, near the border with Pakistan, noticed that there was a stamped message on its feathers written in Urdu. That's the language spoken in Pakistan. And the bird also had the seal of the Pakistani district and police conducted an x-ray on the bird. So apparently pigeons are being used for spying quite more often than we think or suspect or even know. And uh, the, those in India are up on it, right? They are very, very keen to the spying that's going on. And I think that's pretty interesting, right? I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't know about you. I, I you know. I knew about uh, courier pigeons. I didn't know about spy pigeons. Who knew about that? Anyway, we continue. Uh, There was another story I really wanted to get into here because, you know, what's a week without some of the crazy that we hear, right? We didn't hear a lot from uh, AOC, all out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. But we did hear uh, from, from Funny Willis. We did hear from, what's her name? Corey Bush. And, you know, we don't have this audio. I wish we did. This is a good one. But we didn't hear, we did hear, but we don't have the clip for you, from Ayanna Presley. She's like the fourth member of the squad. She's the one that uh, has the same haircut as me. And Ayanna Presley took to the floor of the house to talk about how these big corporations that are shuttering their stores in places like New York City and San Francisco are leaving the community without sanitary napkins, without um, milk and infant formula, without all of the necessities that people go there to buy. And when they leave a community, they are harming the people in that community. And I, and I, I, I laughed, honestly. I saw this video clip and I said, oh my goodness, Ms. Presley, um, are, are you aware that they're leaving because they're being robbed blind? 
and they can't afford to stay there anymore. It, it seems like they gloss over everything. I mean, that's almost like saying, oh, my gosh, when the police are locking up these people that are, you know, beating up the police and terrorizing uh, the, the, the locals, you know, who's going to do the terrorizing? Who's going to do the kicking them while they're down? This is a travesty. Unbelievable, the things that people say. Anyway, I also wanted to, um, I don't know if we have it or if we don't, we'll get it for, for Monday. But there was a clip on social media from um, a program hosted by uh, Shamika Michelle and Jason Whitlock. And they were talking about people, uh, well, it was social media, right? There's like a trend on social media of, of heavy set women. And I think they say something like, I'm a fat girl. So, of course, I stuff my face while I'm walking. Like, I'm a fat girl. So, of course, I, you know, I mean, just these very, you know, uh, revelatory things about their eating habits and their lifestyle as an overweight person. And I thought it was just fascinating <laughs> that this is a new thing and that people are trying to, uh, trying to um, play that up, right? As if that's something uh, of virtue. So uh, we'll talk about that in a moment um, as well. Anyway, your calls and more are coming up straight ahead. Uh, you can get your calls in now, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So I was just talking about this audio that I heard, and we're going to get to your calls. I see a few of you holding on. Thanks for your, your patience. Uh, again, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Uh, going to get to you just in a moment. But I want you to hear this clip of audio of uh, these women making videos on uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, really highlighting their weight. Listen to this. We're fat girls. We eat what we want, when we want to. We're fat girls. Of course we're going to ask for a table instead of a booth. We're fat girls. Of course I ordered enough to have leftovers. We're fat girls. Of course I'm learning to honor my hunger cues. We're fat girls. Of course we save some for later. We're fat girls. Of course we take up space. Sorry, not sorry. We're fat girls. Of course we're unlearning generational fat phobia. So, yeah, that's the uh, popular uh, TikTok trend uh, saying we're fat girls. And they go ahead and, you know go into this whole 
you know, this is what fat girls do type of thing. And, you know, some people are taking exceptions to this saying, um, this is a, a big, a big deal because we're, you know, kind of glorifying this horrible lifestyle. And it, and it opens the door to this conversation of, should we be doing that, right? Should we be glorifying something that's clearly unhealthy? And for years, I've thought this because I um, I was overweight for many years, right? And I wore it well. Nobody ever knew. I, my highest weight was 269 pounds. And the um, the amount of people that always told, oh, you look great. Oh, you're so well-dressed. You know, I, I typically wore a suit and I just bought bigger and bigger suits. You know, I think my, my neck, my collar size was an 18, um, 17 and a half if I lost a little bit of weight. Uh, my suit size was a 48 for a long time. Then I got up to a 50, to, so it'd be nice and loose. And, you know, I put the 50 on. People were like, oh, you look like you lost weight. <laughs> you know, I literally had no neck. But, uh, you know, you do your beard well or your goatee, you really sharp, trim, you dress sharp. And most people just really just don't notice. You know, I guess they're they're enamored by my, by my charm and uh, stunned by my brilliance. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that for years... Um, I was very comfortable being overweight because people were like, oh, you look good. You look healthy. You look fine. And obviously I wasn't healthy and it wasn't good. And it was my doctor that scared the crap out of me telling me that, you know, you better lose some weight. Otherwise you're going to be in bad shape. So, you know, at first I lost 40 pounds and I lost like another 30. And, you know, I, that last 30, I gained back 10 or 15 every now and again. And, and so I think I'm at a little above 200 right now. And I was at almost 270 or 269. So, you know, down 69, 70 pounds for the most part. Sometimes it's more like 60, less, you know, less like 70. But my point is I realized that I was eating poorly because I, A, had bad habits and was not eating the right food. But I also ate uh, out of boredom. I also ate whenever things got a little too stressful. I did a lot of stress eating. Uh, I ate a lot on the go and the, the wrong things, obviously, um, you know, the not the healthiest options. And, and it made me realize that it, it had become a, a way of soothing things. You know, it's like, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm going to go smoke weed or go drink. I didn't do that. I was like, I'm going to grab a cheeseburger. <laughs> Let me order a pie of pizza. Yeah. That was just how I did things. And, uh, you know, that the dopamine rush that you get from eating that kind of stuff definitely puts a smile on your face, regulates your mood, your, your back end. You're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's fine. <laughs> and, and, you know, I laugh at it, but it, it's a sad thing. And I can't think of of a world where people, I mean, it's one thing for people to not acknowledge that you're overweight. It's another thing for people to encourage you to embrace that, to say, oh, you know what? Embrace your body, body positivity. It's okay. Be proud of who you are. Love every inch of yourself. I don't think you should. I really don't. I don't think you should love every inch of yourself when you're 270 pounds. Nobody should weigh 270 pounds unless you're like six foot five and a wrestler. All right. That's the only way. I don't see how it, it, it works for anybody else. If you're not an extremely tall person that, that is, you know, big boned or whatever, or a cop, a firefighter, or a wrestler, you know, somebody's going to use that kind of a, that type of mass. Um, I certainly don't need that, right? I mean, did, I did most of my radio career standing up. I just liked it better. I felt I could project better. Um, but my current setup is more comfortable sitting down. And I sit down. So just imagine uh, the hours of the day where I am uh, working behind a microphone, I'm sitting down. I need, I need to be heavier than I am? No, of course not. I don't need to be heavier. So 
it makes me wonder, should we be glorifying this type of uh, situation where we, you know, we tell women to go on TikTok or Instagram and say, I'm a fat girl. Of course, I ordered enough food to take leftovers. You know, I'm a fat girl. Of course, I'm going to eat while I drive or whatever else they were saying. I think this is clearly um, not a good look, right? It's it, We shouldn't, I don't know that we should tell people, hey, fat is bad and, you know, you should, you should feel bad about yourself. I'm not saying that. Uh, but I am saying I do think we should say fat is bad and that, you know, people should learn that it's not okay. A little, a little belly is not okay, right? We should learn that these things, this visceral fat can, can harm you. And, and people should be aware of that. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in this. Uh, I was once doing a, a TV spot with, um, with, uh, I forget his name right now, but a guy who's part of a, a diabetes organization and he was like their spokesman. And we were talking about that. And I said, oh, yeah, fat's terrible. And he said, yeah. He said, I once said fat is bad, and I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I said, well, you know, sometimes you got to tell the truth, right? You can't always succumb to the pressure of the people who don't like the truth. And he seemed a little scared to do that. But that's what's going on. Now, a lot of people are trying to lose uh, fat, lose weight with um, Ozempic and other um, um of the, what they're called GLP-1 inhibitors, and we've talked with a couple of doctors about this, and they work for a lot of people, and they work really, really well because they help regulate your the part of your brain that controls how you produce insulin in your body and how you um, feel satisfied. So you're less hungry because you feel more satisfied, and you have a more stable uh, blood sugar uh, scenario going on, and voila, you become healthier and things are better. And some studies, or at least some people are recommending studies on how, because this covers the part of the brain that deals with um, satiety, that they are considering using these types of drugs for people that have gambling problems and, and the like, because this might help in that, in, in that same scenario. So the question I'm asking is, um, should people be taking these drugs? Have you heard of uh, adverse reactions to these drugs? I'm looking at an article in The Atlantic that came out today and says Ozempic makes you lose more than fat. And that makes sense. If you're on any type of, you know, um, weight loss program, you typically will lose some muscle along with that. Um, if you've ever seen anybody on like The Biggest Loser or any of those shows without Ozempic or any of those drugs, when they lose uh, a large amount of weight very quickly, they become very flabby. They lose a lot of muscle. They lose a you know, tremendous amount of weight. Their whole body changes and oftentimes leaving a lot of excess skin. So... It's a, it's a fascinating question, you know. I think it's, it's all good, you know. Go for it. You know, a little skin didn't kill nobody, but a lot of fat killed plenty of people. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. I know I, I've said that twice, and I didn't get to your calls yet, but we're going to get to your calls momentarily. I see calls from Florida and others that are coming in right now. So the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES, and uh, looking forward to whatever it is that you're bringing to the table and also, if you miss any of our interviews last week or this week, I know I got a couple of inbox messages on the social media, people requesting uh, how they could listen to it. You should know this by now, but if you're new to the program, welcome. You can always check it out at the website, richvaldesamericaatnight.com is the website, richvaldesamericaatnight.com 
go there and you can, uh, you'll see all of the, the guest names. And if you don't know who these guests are, because you're like, oh, I don't know who Rich McCormick is. Well, he's a congressman from Georgia. All you got to do is hit the description button. And then voila, it tells you all about the whole show. You can read all about it before you listen. Listen for free. You can even subscribe to the podcast. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome back. I want to get to your calls. Let's go to um, uh, Justin. He's in Moorhead, Minnesota. He's listening on WDAY. Justin, go right ahead. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Uh, yeah, listen uh, quite a quite a bit. Um, I'll usually on my way home from the gym. I, I love the show. I oh, thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. Up here. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, telling your call screener. I, I um, it was funny. We were talking about the Ozempic and. Uh, I haven't been on it, but I uh, just heard a podcast today from a very popular name that everybody knows. I, um, but and they had a doctor on, and they were talking about this doctor. He was talking all about, um, you know, the Ozempic and, uh, you know, side effects of it, um, and even just not even really a side effect, but another thing besides what you mentioned that it does is it causes paralyzation of your stomach or slows it down essentially, and. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that literally in some cases or a lot of people, it is paralyzing it to a point where it's, you know, problematic for them. And even when they get off of it, it, they're still, they still have the paralyzed effect of their stomach. So there's been a lot of problems. And then like a lot of other drugs you've heard about in life, as soon as you go off of it, if you lost, let's say 20, 30, 40 pounds, it comes right back. So it's not a kind of one and done or just, you know, take it for a few months. Um, but it was interesting on this podcast, they were talking about all of the dirtiness, too, of the um, where it's from. I want to say it's, it's out of the U.K. And and what I mean by dirtiness is they will not uh, recommend it over there for all of these reasons uh, for weight loss, among other things. And it's just kind of interesting. So they're really taking advantage of the, the market here in the States for, of course, a lot of people suffering from obesity. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting about at least uh, there's three of these drugs that are approved for uh, and they're all approved for something other than weight loss. The weight loss is actually a side effect. Um, There is Ozempic, Manjaro and Wegovi. And all three of these drugs are designed to regulate uh, blood glucose. So for the type two diabetic to have a more stable blood sugar. And I think they all work with that regard. I think the only one of those three that's recently gotten a FDA approval just for weight loss was Wegovi, and that one was designed for extreme weight loss, like for people that are, I think, 300 pounds plus in order to lose weight because it's such a, a serious side effect of these other two um, types of medicines that do the same thing, the um, Ozempic and the, uh, the one I just mentioned, Manjaro. 
So uh, th that part of it's interesting. I know a lot of people are using it on the black market. They're selling it in gyms. They're getting it from compounding pharmacies uh, to in order to have the side effect, which is weight loss. And, you know, along with that, some of the side effects that you've mentioned and others that, you know, we've had some doctors on talking about that, like uh, gastrointestinal issues and whatnot. But um, interesting. Right. And uh, I think it's it's uh, if it's used as intended for the regulation of blood sugar levels to manage type two diabetes uh, or prevent type two diabetes for somebody that's borderline, I think that's a great thing, especially if it brings down your weight and then kind of makes you, um, you know, outside of that danger zone where your A1C level has become low enough where you're not in that, that target. Uh, but for those that are looking at it uh, solely for weight loss, yeah, I don't think there's a silver bullet or, or, or magic um, type of thing. So I think people who are taking these drugs uh, ideally are going to expect to take them for the long term uh, if they're taking them for that main reason, which is deregulation of um, blood sugar. Because obviously if they don't, then they'd have to go to insulin or one of the other, you know, types of um, uh, blood glucose control types of uh, pills that are out there. So uh, interesting thoughts, though. I appreciate it, Justin, uh, from Moorhead, Minnesota, listening on WDAY. Big shout out to you guys there. And uh, let's continue. <clears throat> let's see. Let's go to uh, Tara. Tara's in Williford, Arkansas, listening on KSAR. Tara, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi. It's my first time calling. I've been listening to you for a while every night on my way home from work. Awesome. Um, Thank you I for was that. calling because, oh, you're welcome. I am taking that Manjaro. Um, yeah. I started it about six, seven months ago for my A1C. I was at a 13. My A1C was at a 13. Mm. Um, I've lost 54 pounds, and my A1C has went down to a 5.9. Wow. And I was going to say, as you were saying 13, I know that 5.9, because I just went to the doctor, and they told me you're, you're, a good A1C has to be 5.9. Uh, anything higher than 5.9, they consider you um, borderline diabetic. So right now you, you're technically like not in the diabetic zone or right at the cusp of it, but um, way healthier than you were. And, th and that's exactly the point. Uh, I think it, it's working in that regard. And the, the weight loss is just a side effect of the drug, which uh, obviously helps to keep the A1C down and to keep you healthy. So congratulations to you. How do you feel? I feel fantastic. And, you know, the biggest thing is I went from like craving chocolate or something sweet. Now I prefer an apple or a pear, mm -hmm. and it just it changes your mind your mindset. I feel, sure. I you know. So when all is said and done, I think I'm just going to be eating healthier all around. Yeah, well, I don't doubt that at all, and I'm sure that you know as long as you can stay on this, you're you're going to do really really well. And if you do have to come off of it, hopefully uh, you've created some new eating habits that you can take with you, even if you start to get those cravings back. Because uh, that is part of the magic of these these three, um, you know, wonder drugs is that it, it eliminates these cravings because it controls the brain center that controls cravings. <laughs> and that's why they were saying uh, some people are saying they want to try it with people that gamble or use drugs because it may also um, satiate those cravings as well. And because it, it you know, literally turns off um, or turns off or turns on, you know, depending how you look at it but activates that um, receptor of the brain that makes you feel satisfied. So that's pretty cool. Uh, well, congratulations to you, Tara. I'm, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Big shout out to Williford, Arkansas, KSAR, everybody listening there. 
And we're going to come right back to the rest of your calls. I see we've got uh, our buddy Eduardo from Tampa, Florida. He's on the line. We're going to get to him and uh, a couple of our regulars as well. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. glad to be on your show rich it's just an amazing broadcast that i hope the rest of america listens to every day america at night with rich valdez call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ that's valdez with an s all right, America, welcome back. And we continue our discussion. Uh, I said I was leaving off with Eduardo. We continue with Eduardo, Tampa, Florida, WWTK. My brother, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yeah, Rich, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I wanted to bring Germany in here into the conversation because uh, we're, we're talking about a country that used to be an economic powerhouse. And... There's some similarities with problems that we're having here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Uh, Turkey uh, is uh, trying to establish a political party in that country. Uh, They have a spike in asylum applications. Uh, They claim to need 400,000 workers every year. So this is why there's this big push with immigration. They already started doing that with the uh, a couple of years ago when they had that big flood of uh, people from the Middle East going in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, you have a strike at the Berlin airport. There's workers that are on strike there uh, complaining about inflation. Sounds similar. Yep. And they've got a problem with housing. They're building these tiny homes. Like, that's supposed to be, like, something cool. There's, there's a shortage of housing. All this problem started with the COVID um, and... Um, it's just the sh- and immigration. Those are the, like the one, two punches. And that's what's happening here in the U.S. Oh, so yeah. if we don't get our act together this November, I'm afraid we're going to be heading towards Germany. Listen, brother, I think you're right on track. Uh, I can tell you this. I remember having these discussions with uh, some family members uh, during the Obama years because that was when it started. Right. There were a lot of countries that were appealing to the U.N., asking the U.N. to create these programs called refugee resettlement programs. And they were basically saying that these people were coming from war-torn countries with poor economic conditions and that everybody had to take in a certain amount of refugees. And the U.N. was spearheading this. And and you had a bunch of people coming in from uh, a bunch of nations. But um, I remember in particular you had a lot of uh, North African Muslim men coming into Germany, as well as into France. And the only reason I remember that is because there was a lot of conflict. And at the time, 
there was a um, 60 Minutes television crew, and you may have seen this online or you could find it on YouTube. The, the, the woman, the correspondent, is doing a stand-up, and she's saying, you know, local residents are concerned about the influx of, of um, uh, North African Muslim uh, immigrants or asylum seekers or whatever they were calling them, um, saying that, you know, there's been a, a recent spike in crime as a result. Others saying that this is um, xenophobia and that this is racism and it's whatever. And as she's giving the report, five or six of these guys surround her and they steal the camera that, that that's doing the report. And it was, uh, they got it back. The cameraman starts struggling as I remember it, you know, and it's, it's a whole thing. There's a fight that breaks out. Uh, but it, it's a thing. And then shortly after, we started hearing about these uh, series of knife attacks that were occurring in London and in France. And as we saw more of Europe taking on more of these refugees. Now, again, this is not me saying that um, North African Muslim men are are inherently um, criminals. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, I am saying that they, they were coming from areas where they were faced with certain realities, right? Some sort of survival. Um, it, it was a different, um, a different atmosphere. And I don't know who these people were that were coming into their country. As Trump uh, aptly points out, oftentimes when you have this massive uh, outward migration from a country, they don't send you their best, right? That's just the truth. They send you their worst because they want to get rid of some people. And they're like, hey, we're good now. You know, it's kind of like when they tell homeless people, hey, we'll buy you a one-way ticket anywhere. They just don't want you back. So I think we're seeing a lot of that that happened in France. It happened in, uh, in, in UK, in, in uh, England. It happened in Germany. And we're now witnessing that happen in New York City. And it's not just uh, uh, North Africans now. It's, it's people from all over the country. I mean, you saw all of these uh, Hispanic guys that, uh, and I don't know where they were from, uh, if they were from El Salvador or a mix of different places. But these guys... Uh, you know, started kicking these cops while they were down, tried to bring them down, tried to free the guy that they were trying to take into custody. They looked like Antifa, but you know, a little more violent. And then upon leaving the police, I don't know if you saw the video, but anybody who's listening, if you've seen this, this guy, very brazen, gives the finger, not one finger, he gives the finger on both hands, his left hand and his right hand to all the cameras that are surrounding him when he leaves. Uh, it's a double FU from uh, the illegal immigrant that was beating people up, uh, beating up NYPD officers, uh, the seven of them, and they're, they're, none of them seem apologetic. It seems like they don't care. And the fact that they don't care to me is the most alarming part. That, you know, most people, I mean, I remember just, I don't know, five months ago when, when criminals would put a hood over their head when they were doing the perp walk and, you know, they were ashamed of themselves. They didn't want to be on TV. They didn't want to embarrass their families. Um, it seems like that's a thing of the past now. People are proud to get arrested and then leave and get released without bail. It's a shame what we're seeing, but you're right. And as we see um, this expansion, you now have um, uh, Erdogan, the president of of Turkey, his political party is now expanding into uh, EU elections in, in June. And that's just imagine if we were to see something like that happen. Just imagine the, the cartel-backed uh, political party in Mexico, let's just say, starts running in Los Angeles or Texas, uh, you know, uh, in California or Texas, because, you know, there's that much influence pouring through the southern border, making its way into our country. That's literally how you take over a country, 
right? You take over politically, you take over the hearts and minds. You don't need uh, an actual invasion uh, of, of military force. What you need is people to just take over the ideas of the people and the leadership. And we, we're closer to that than many people think. I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news. Sometimes I do lose heart a little bit. Um, but I try to be optimistic, but there's, then there's days where I hear people, I hear people say things like they're destroying this country. And in the back of my head, I think this country was destroyed a decade ago. I mean, there are certain things, certain lines that we've crossed that I don't know that we can come back from. And it doesn't mean that we're destroyed, but it definitely means we have destroyed aspects of our constitutional system, aspects of our, uh, tradition and aspects of um, what what we thought we were, uh, of our culture. And that part, I guess, is inevitable. There's always going to be a change in the culture. Uh, whether it's a good one or a bad one, I guess, depends on the people that are in charge of doing the changing. But I'll leave that there. Eduardo, thank you for your call, my brother, uh, in Tampa, Florida, WWTK. I'm going to be in that area um, relatively soon in the next, um, I don't know, five, six, seven weeks. So, um, keep an eye out for that. I'll announce it on the radio. Might do a, maybe an event close to the radio station. And, uh, we're going to take a pause right here. Come back to the rest of your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to encourage you to tune in on Monday. Uh, we've got a couple of changes that we're going to be adding some new um, upgrades, I should say, upgrades to uh, our format. We're going to be adding a couple of really cool segments. We've got some cool bumper music that Mr. Hinton in the uh, control room has created, uh, like a swamp segment that we're adding, which is going to be cool. We're also working on that Dear Richie segment. We're going to have that where I give you advice on things I don't know anything about. As if I were Dr. Frazier Crane himself. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a hoot. At least for me, it will be. And I want to get to your um, thoughts and calls uh, before we wrap up for the week. Let's go to Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, Richie. I can't wait for that dear Richie segment. I'm just waiting on that. But, Thank um, you, sir. On, uh, yeah, on illegal immigration, I call them illegal aliens. I don't think it, it's going to get worse before it gets any better. That's for sure. They're already here. So we yeah. got a problem there. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to, um, I come, when you talk about weight, I come from the other end of the spectrum on that. I yeah. am skinny and I've oh. never been able to gain a pound in my life. Uh, <laughs> I have been about 140 pounds since the time I was in high school. I was a little more in high school because I played football and worked out and so forth. But um, you know what? What I've always found in my life, is, is, as far as um, with the weight and everything, is you you got to stay active. You know, you got to eat the right things. Mm-hmm. And um, you've you've had such good guests on this week talking about the brain and so forth. And yeah. um, I think that has a lot to do with it. If, if your if your brain's not active and you're sitting around munching on popcorn all day and watching the tube, well, you're going to gain weight. Oh, you yeah. know, and um, it, that's that's just the way I see it. And, um, that's just my thought. I mean, I, I, I've never been able to gain a pound, Rich. I could, I could eat a steak, a baked potato, um, then go eat a ice cream sundae and I will not gain a pound. Well, and Paul, people are just like, you know, what's wrong with you? 
Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to have to get connected with uh, Corey Bush and use some of her private security, a.k.a. her husband, because most of the country is probably listening to you and they're like, I hate this guy, Paul. I want to be like him when I grow up, <laughs> eat whatever I want and not gain a pound. Uh, Godspeed to you, brother. Um, just make sure you don't eat a lot of uh, cholesterol because skinny guys can still get their arteries clogged. But I'm glad that you, you have weight management under control. I hope to have that uh, under my hat one of these days. Paul, have a great weekend, my brother in America. Take care. Until the next time. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez, and I wish you a good night, and God bless you, America. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.